Today, of uh, course, is Father's Day, June 20th in the year 2021. And so I rarely preach on themes for the day, and this is not going to be much of a, quote, Father's Day message, with the exception that when the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, teach us to pray, teach us how to pray, this is how he starts it out, our Father. I want to talk to you today about the attributes of our Father. Honestly, I cannot really truly think of anything that's more encouraging than studying the attributes of God. So we find this in verse 7, Matthew chapter 6. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, right? all the Gentiles, non-Jews. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, charge in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's just take a minute, a couple minutes, to look at this prayer and just pull it apart just a little bit. The first thing that Jesus says about praying to our Father is don't repeat yourself a lot, thinking that the more that you talk to God on the same line, meaning you repeat the words, that then he'll finally hear you. We know from studying the religious beliefs of other people that there are religions that promote this type of chanting constant recital of the same thing. And Jesus said, don't do that. Those that don't know God, that's what they do. And they think that they will be heard for their much speaking. The first thing we eliminate is repetition in prayer. And then he goes on to say, be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Now this is, I guess, a mystery of prayer, because God says, I know what you want. But he wants us to ask. Now let me just go one step further and tell you my thoughts about what happens when we pray for each other. Or you could flip it the other way too and say what happens when we don't. I truly believe that when we pray for one another, there's something there. Well, it's like touch. We don't consider touch to be entirely supernatural. If you touch somebody, you touch somebody, that, for instance, in the hospital. You can watch the telemetry. You touch somebody when properly received, their pulse will actually be lowered, calming down, as a calming effect. But I believe that when we pray for one another, it's similar to a touch, but in the realm of the spirit, so that we are affecting one another, obviously for good. In any case, he tells us that God already knows, the Father already knows what we have need of before we ask him. Then he goes through and he says this, first of all, our Father, and he locates him obviously in heaven. He's way above us. And his name is holy. Let your name be holy. Let it be hallowed. I've been sharing with you a little bit about the Christian Sabbath, the fourth commandment in the Decalogue, the book of Exodus. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy because his name is holy and everything that he touches is holy. And when we come to Christ, we become holy, holiness to the Lord. I want you to notice also the first order of business after addressing the Father properly 
is to seek the kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Now, we read the newspapers or have word passed along to us of who passed away. And so, just this week or so, my wife came to me and told me that so-and-so passed away, three years younger than I am now. And the first thing that I said in response was, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That's the inevitable fact of life, that we're all going to die. And what is the profit in anything if at the end of that journey we're not saved? The answer is obvious. The conclusion is obvious. Yet so many people who profess Christ live as though this is the deal right now. And we know that the preachers teach that. How to be a success. I'm all for success when defined by God and his word. But I don't listen to a word. Preachers tell me how to be a success when it's identical to what's taught and preached by business gurus. How will it be thy name? Thy kingdom come. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Jesus will go on to say that in the 33rd verse, the same chapter. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything that you need in this life will be added to you. Your food, your clothes, your shelter, everything will be added to you. But you've got to seek the kingdom first. And let me say it again. Not just seeking the kingdom, but it's on the short list of the most important things in your life. Jesus says it's got to be number one in your life. When you get up in the morning every single day, by the time you go to bed and everything in between, the kingdom must always be on your mind and the righteousness of God. Now, Jesus says that we're to pray that God's will, rather, will be done in the earth the way it's done in the heavens right now. However, we understand from reading the scriptures all the way through that God's will ultimately is going to be done. And that's the encouragement for us today. Now, we'll get to that. You may say to yourself, as I have, well, if you already know my needs, why do I have to ask you for my daily bread? And we can give a lot of explanations for this, but one that comes to mind is the fact that Israel was totally dependent on God, literally on a daily basis, for their food. Here in America, at the moment, we're not so concerned. There's things in the refrigerator, and there's things in storage, and on and on. However, over the last year, all of a sudden, things are getting hard to find. And I certainly pray and do hope that that is not a precursor of more to come. Small things, things that we really took for granted, getting hard to find. Is God sending a message to Americans, to American Christians? In a flash, every blessing I've given you can be taken away. But anyway, he asks us, he instructs us rather, to ask for our daily bread, to forgive our debts. This really is the turning point in anybody's life. Humility is the virtue of saying, I'm wrong. I've been wrong. I am wrong, and so on. First to God, and then to others, when necessary. And then Jesus talks about forgiving our debtors, those who owe us. Then he tells us to pray. Now, Father, today, lead me away from temptations, the ones that I would have ordinarily fell into, not to sin, just the temptation to sin. The temptation to violate God and his law, laws, and deliver us from the evil one. We read in the scriptures that Satan is lurking about. He was lurking about this morning when you awoke. And he's seeking who he can devour. Where's the weak ones? And so we're taught in the scripture again to be sober, to be vigilant. And then the rest of the scripture says, For your adversary the devil walketh about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we ask God on a daily basis because we're seeking the kingdom first. 
We ask God, in my path today, wherever I go, wherever you lead me, wherever I have to go to work or whatever I do, lead me away from temptations and deliver me from the power of the evil one. And then we come to this. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we come to the attributes of God that Jesus positions last. The kingdom, Father, is yours. All the power is yours. All the glory is yours. And we sang it in a song this morning. All the glory, all the honor, all the power, all the praise, everything is yours, is God. And whenever you're discouraged, certainly this life has given us a lot of opportunities to be discouraged. It's what you're going to read or hear in this message today that will lift you back up again. The fact that God and his attributes, when we fix our mind on them, makes us an immovable object, cannot be moved. Scriptures say so. If you've lived long enough with the Lord, experience tells you that. No matter what Satan or people being used by him may try to do, if you keep your mind steadied on God, and particularly his attributes, as I'm going to give you them today, you will never be moved. It doesn't mean Satan won't come for you. He will. It doesn't mean he's not going to throw anything and everything at you. He will. But you still won't be moved. And that's the great blessing of life. And we read it last week, week before, whenever it was. He said, Jesus said, Father, this is the eternal life that they might know thee and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's it. But the knowledge is not academic like we get in school when we study geometry, algebra, or other things. The knowledge is something you know intuitively as well as intellectually. And it's a sense of the spirit I talked about just a few moments ago. That you know, that you know, that you know, that you know. God is all these things. Let me just give you a very short list of some of the attributes of God. Aseity. Well, that's a big word. What does that mean? It means that God doesn't need anything. I can recall preachers, song leaders saying, God needs your worship. Well, we read in the book of Acts, when the apostle Paul is making a defense of the gospel and the presentation of the gospel, he tells his hearers, he says, God is not worshipped with your hands as though he needed something. You see, if God needs something, he's no longer all-powerful. He has a need. He didn't create you or me because he has a need. He doesn't. Worship, yeah, it lifts up God, that's for sure, but you can rest assured on this truth. Singing and praising and all that we do, the biggest blessing is for us. We're reminding ourselves of who God is. We're reminding ourselves of what God has done. We're reminding ourselves of the things that you're going to hear today. That God has the attribute of a saity. He doesn't need anything. We also know that he is eternal. He's never had a beginning. This is the one I told you that when I think about it too long, it actually promotes or provokes an anxiety attack. <laughs> I can almost see the smoke is just too much. As Plato said, God is too big for our small minds. How could God not never have a beginning? He'll never have an end. It escapes me. And I can't think about it too long. I have to actually think about something else. It's, it's uh, as the psalmist said, I will not mind things too high for me. And the eternal nature of God is too high for me. Aseity, eternity, God is gracious. Grace, mercy, he's holy. He's imminent, though his throne is so high in the heavens, he still dominates the entire planet. And not just our planet, but the entire universe that no one can measure that they say is continually expanding. 
Where's the beginning of it? Where's the end of it? Nobody knows. Yet God is here. He's imminent. We know that he's unchanging. He's immutable. I shared that with you just recently. Three things have never changed, though one can change. That's us, man. The second will be changed. That's Satan. But one will never change, and that's God. He is the same today. And we see this in Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want to just say to you, this is how I come to the conclusion that Jesus still heals the sick. Because he's the same. It doesn't matter what churches say or think. He's the same. He's immutable. He never changes because he's God. The word impassibility means that God cannot suffer, which is a bit of a paradox for us because we look at the cross and that's all we see is suffering. But in the father nature of God, God doesn't feel pain. God doesn't suffer. I don't have time. I mean, we could devote at least one sermon to how these work together with the cross of Christ and the sufferings of Christ, Isaiah 53 and so on. But for today, let's just acknowledge the point that God doesn't suffer. So I say to you, and I have throughout the years, just because you're worried about the future doesn't mean God is. God is not worried about the future. We'll get to this in just a little bit, but I'll give you a taste of it now. God is saying, hey, you know what? This is how it started, and this is how it's going to end. And God is not wringing his hands as some people are. God has never, not even once, had an anxiety attack. He's never, not once, ever been depressed. We have, but he hasn't. I may throw in there as well. God has never sinned. He's never broken his own laws or violated himself. For that matter, he doesn't violate us as creatures. We violate each other. And so we have this short list. Also, we could put in there impeccability. God is perfect, absolutely perfect in all his ways. Every decision God makes. And I think the one that would be most imposing when a tragedy strikes the home, the family, or your own life, and that's the question that's most on people's minds, why? Corrie ten Boom was incarcerated with her sister and her family during the Nazi occupation of Germany and other countries. In answer to the question from her sister as to why was this happening, he said, when you know God, she said rather, when you know God, you don't have to know why. When you know God, you don't have to know why. Because God is perfect, he's impeccable in all of his ways, all of his decisions. Sermotus veritas est. Thy word is truth. And we must acknowledge the truth. How, I mean, why would you not want to acknowledge what you're about to hear, though you already know what's coming? Because it helps you. It doesn't help God. God will not be made any better by this sermon of mine or the millions of others being preached around the world. God is not helped by anybody's messages. He gives the message. But you are. So we must acknowledge the truth that we're about to hear today if we are to be encouraged, we must acknowledge who God is. I had this one scripture. I want to just take a moment to read this to you, though it's not directly related to the message. I cannot get this scripture off my mind, and so I stuck it in here because I believe that we need to hear it. 1 Corinthians has an exhortation for us in chapter 10. In verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses. Now, obviously, the Apostle Paul is speaking to Jews. Unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat 
and did all drink the same spiritual drink. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. But with many of them, notice the word many, God was not well pleased. They've already, got, they've already escaped from Egypt. Judgment is over. Judgment could have been over. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent, we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Either be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Now keep in mind, this is Israel. This is not the Egyptians any longer. It's Israel. And they're being judged. And why? They committed adultery and fornication. And then we have this one here. That, and I think this one here, well, adultery we can understand and sexual sin we can understand. But this one, I think, escapes us. And this is what's been pressing in my heart. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. It's very evident, as we talk about these positive attributes of God, that God doesn't take it lightly when we complain against his ways. It's evident that God takes it seriously when we can look, I mean, as Americans especially, we can see all the blessings that God has given to us and we narrow our lives, our attention rather down to one thing in our life or a couple and grouse about it, complaining, moaning, and we can start with the government and we can work our way all the way out. And this is what Israel did. They didn't like the manna. They didn't like the way the manna came. They objected to Moses' leadership and on and on and on, they murmured until God said, enough. You're not going to see Canaan. You're not going to see the land I promised you would see. But there was always a Joshua, or there was a Joshua, and there was a Caleb, and there were the young people at the time. So let's learn a lesson here. The person you want to emulate is Joshua, Caleb. They were leaders. They weren't like the other people. While the other people were questioning God, examples spy out the land. See if it's not as good as I said it was. Joshua, Caleb, and 10 others go out. 12 come back, but only two have a good report of the land. The other 10 kept saying, yeah, it's good land, good fruit, good water, all that. But there's walled cities and there's giants. There's a lot of problems. They were judged as well. For us, it's the way of the cross, a way of self-abnegation, of self-sacrifice, of putting away ourselves. And I would caution you not to complain against the way of God. It's his way. He could have invented a different way, but he didn't. And we glory in the cross. So let's look at a few scriptures here and just a couple of attributes of God. If we were to go through all the, just the Jehovah names, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Rapha, and so on. If we went through all the El names, El Elyon, and so on, El Shaddai, well, it would take up weeks worth. We would literally have to read the entire Bible to see all the attributes of God. But I'm just going to accent just a couple. First being, God is all-powerful, and he rules the nations. And you must not just simply give that an academic nod. To, ah, yeah, I know. If you're complaining and murmuring, if you're looking at the world and you're coming up with a different answer than the kingdom of God is first, then you don't know it. You've heard the scriptures, no doubt, that I'm about to read, but you don't actually believe that God is actually ruling right now. But he is. That's our comfort. And it's no small consolation either. Psalm 103, verse 19. 
The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. If you could name the first nation that comes to your mind, anyone, God is above it. God rules above it. God is sovereign. He doesn't ask permission. He rules. Or for us here in America and other places around the world that have a similar system, he was never voted in. And he'll never be voted out. For me, I'm glad that he established his throne in the heavens. And he's ruling over America. He's ruling over Russia. He's ruling over China. He's ruling over every single nation that you can think and bring to your mind or anyone you can read out of a book or read on a map. God is ruling over every single one of them. Then he says in Isaiah, and they're like a drop in the bucket, a drop in the bucket to you, big powerful nations. What we call them superpowers. God says, not where I live. They're no superpower to me. And then we go to this very simple principle of prayer. When you go to prayer to God, right? That's our father. You go to prayer to God, you're praying to the power that controls everything. When you live, when you die, when you were born, everything. Psalm 75 verse 7. But God is the judge. He put it down one and setteth up another. Now, this one's hard to understand here in America. When you think of the fact that, no, we voted, that's my president. While the other half of the country is not my president. Now some are saying, he's not my president. And the other people are saying, he's my president. And God is saying, you know what? I set one up. I put the other one down. Because I'm working out, as I've shared with you so many times, and we're going through it in the Bible studies, we study Genesis. I'm working out a plan that I've told you about from the beginning, or at least if you've read the Bible. If you're Bible literate, I'm working a plan here. And I don't quite get the relation other than responsibility to vote your conscience here in America, I mean. But beyond that, we vote people in and God says, I set them up. We vote people out and God says, I set them down. So I just try to not confuse myself and say, God, you set them up and you tear them down. Because you're working out a plan because your throne is established in the heavens. And your kingdom, you are ruling over everything. You can be assured of this. No matter what every philosopher has said, is saying, or will say, no matter what every other religion says, has said, or will say, it's going to end exactly the way God said it will end. Yeah. This we know, not only by examination of the scriptures, but those of us who have walked with God long enough know it by experience. It ends the way God says it will end. In the book of Daniel, chapter 2, as Daniel is there in Babylon, it says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. You know, can I stop there for just a second and say, and you still hear it all the time, about the weather. This week, we're supposed to have one day of 90 or 91, and the very next day is going to be in the 60s. So I'm already in the future saying, what are people going to be saying? What's all going on with the weather? But I don't mean people who are not Bible literate. But if you're Bible literate, you don't know the answer. Who controls the weather? And I can tell you who doesn't. It's the weathermen. They are amongst the most notorious false prophets in the world. They don't even look out the window. Well, it's raining. It's not raining. The sun's out. And you look at the radar there on your smartphone, and you look and say, gonna rain, and it never comes. Then you say, hey, great day for a picnic. It's gonna be sunny. And the rain comes down. I'm listening to the rain last night. I didn't know that was coming. Guess what? Neither did the weathermen. 
people are the same way. They say, you know, if you don't like the weather, move someplace else. Really? Who controls the weather in Florida? Who controls the weather in Texas? Who controls the weather in Siberia, the North Pole, Antarctica? It's God. So we find this in the Psalms. Power, might, wisdom is his. It says, even the snow praises him. Amen. And the sun, and I was reading just this past week how God made the snow and the hail for battles, for war. Why? Because he's sovereign. He's ruling over everything. And until we actually believe this, we're likely to be continually prone to anxiety, depression. And we'll always be tempted with these things. But you don't have to be victimized by it. You know, when I say to myself, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, I mean anything. Anything God has gifted me for, called me to, I can. Therefore, I will. And that's before the fact. That's before I enter into the situation that I'm going to get into. I can, therefore, I will. Because God is all-powerful and rules over the nations. So let me finish here in Daniel chapter 2, 20 to 22. says, He removeth kings. And he setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. Do you get up in the morning and say, this is the day that the Lord has made? I do. And even more so forcefully when I don't like what I know is ahead for me for that day. And I say to myself, this is still the day that you have made. And there's still perfection in you, and I will walk in it, and I will rejoice in it. And I'll tell you something about singing. You don't have to feel a song to sing it. You just sing it. You don't have to feel like smiling to smile. You just smile. And we can do this with knowledge if we understand that God rules over everything. And without that, the devil will play with you and play with your mind he will keep telling you about what's going wrong and you'll start blaming people. And then you, you may be reminded that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Let me tell you what's behind all of this here. You see, we like to have control. And God says in some things, yes, but in some things you are not in control and you never will be. I don't decide who goes to heaven. I don't judge and sentence anybody to hell. That's God's decision. It's not mine. I will never be in charge of that. And you ought to be glad that I'm not. <laughs> Some of the people now that are saved would not be if I was in charge. And so on. And I'm glad, as a pastor, that you're not in charge. Because I wouldn't be in heaven either. <laughs> it's an example of God saying, you're not in control. Never were. You never will be. And when you drive your car, you want to be in control. And if I'm your passenger, I'm a nervous passenger. If I say to you, are you in control? And you say to me, as I said to one young guy, he was a new convert years ago. Obviously, I was kidding him. I'm driving the car. I said, listen, I just want to let you know, sometimes the Spirit of God moves on me. And I'll just start praising the Lord. And we're driving. I says, if that happens, grab the wheel. And we'll just negotiate it from there, right? And he looked at me like with his eyes, bug eyes. And then I started laughing. <laughs> and I said, just busting on you. I'm just... God is in control. As discouraging as this world can be, I lift up mine eyes towards the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God is all powerful and rules the nations. That's number one. Number two, 
God is all-knowing, and he foretells the future. You remember the story I told you when my wife and I were walking on the boardwalk of Seaside Heights years ago, and they have these fortune tellers. You know, it's, it's mainly an entertainment thing. And so this woman, she'd been there for years, at least she was, and my wife is walking by. She had some kind of summer dress on. The woman was sitting outside. It was, I guess, a slow night. And uh, says to my wife, hey, it's a nice dress. Where'd you get it? And she told her. And we kept on walking. I said, see, if she was really a fortune teller, she wouldn't have said to you, where'd you get it? She just said, that's where you got it, and named the store. That's one of those little faux pas that the fortune teller didn't pick up on, but I did. If you could tell fortunes, you'd be telling my wife where she got the dress. And we would say, oh, how'd you know that? Well, listen, especially, listen to me, even in the area of Bible prophecy, people who say they're Christians or experts in Bible prophecy, eschatology, be careful that you are not being played. It's a tough subject, eschatology. It's not an exact science to our mind. It's an exact science in God's mind and the general principles we know. But anyway, God foretells the future because he's God. Let's look at these verses. Here in Isaiah chapter 46. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, listen, my counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executed my counsel from a far country. This is obviously talking about judgment for Israel. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Now, when we use, the Bible used the word saved, and then we read about judgment, that's our consolation. Saved from the wrath to come. But God says, there is wrath coming. I purposed it, and I'm going to do it. We read that from the beginning of the book of Genesis, beginning of the Bible. And God here says, I'm all-knowing, and I'm telling you how it's going to play out exactly. He's not a fortune teller, hoping and guessing, and he's not a weatherman or weather person. He's saying this is exactly how it's going to play out. And because he has done it, and because he is God, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations is Psalm 135, 6. Psalm 19, 21. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in the earth, in the seas, and all deep places. Read through the book of Job. Job is complaining, but he's a righteous man. But he has a few things wrong, error. And so God tests him. And then it comes to the place where God puts an end to the conversation between him and his friends. And here God asks Job questions. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And he goes through the animal kingdom. And where were you? And did you ever see the horse? And, did you, and he goes through all of this here. And that's a question that you have to really think for yourself. Where were you 100 years ago? Now, I guess I'm old people here, but you're not that old. <laughs> where were you? You didn't exist except in the mind of God. And he purposed for you to be born on a certain day in a certain year, but you aren't here. Yet we like to advise God and tell him what we like and tell him what we don't like and how we think it ought to go. And I'll advise you on that as well. Job was a righteous man. 
God tested him, but he failed the test, and God had to straighten him out. I don't like this present world, other than nature and the things that God actually made. I don't like its noise. I don't like its chaos. I don't like the sickness and disease. There's a lot of things I don't like, but I'm going to give you more advice. The sooner you can accept life as it is, then the way you think it ought to be, the happier you can be, even if it's just for the moment. You see, we look at life and we say, it shouldn't be this way, but it is that way. And we say, well, it's not what I thought. And again, the answer comes back, but it is this way. I woke up, well, I went to bed last night with a little pain in my back. It wasn't there in the morning. It wasn't there late in the afternoon. It developed during the day somehow. I don't like it. And I think I could tell God, hey, but I know better. Anyway, it's not a big deal. And we have Christ, the healer. Or do we? Oh, yeah. Do we or don't we? Because if we do, then we can take our sicknesses and we can take our aches and pains and everything else and bring it before God and Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ. And he is still the healer. Until we don't need healing any longer, Jesus is still the healer. He's still the great physician. Rather than going to God and wasting time telling what you like and what you don't like, Worse than that is the scripture I read near the beginning. Murmuring and complaining. Murmuring and complaining. Let me tell you something. In the pastorate, more than any other occupation in the world, you see and hear everything. And I mean everything. I often tell people, 44 years I've been in the ministry, I often tell people, if you could even think of a situation that deals with human nature, I've heard it and or dealt with it. Mostly dealt with it. And then, if you're really paying attention, you start to see life as it is, not as how you thought it should be. And I've told you this before. My life has not even remotely turned out the way I thought it would. Has yours? Or maybe yours has. My, not even remotely. You think that I was born and got up in my, you know, my teens, somebody said, someday I'll be in Amsterdam, New York. You watch. <laughs> I was stuck here. I'm like Papillon. I'm innocent, but I'm here. I'm not guilty of this crime. <laughs> Just so an old friend, a Christian, I was his pastor for quite a number of years, and he made a remark. He says, you know, Pastor Ray, he said, there are all these years, 34 years come September. It's longer than some inmates. But I said to him, as I say to you from time to time, jokingly, obviously, I said, I don't know, but maybe it's the Irish, but we don't quit. We don't give up. Well, it's not the Irish. It's the spirit of Christ. God sent me here. This is my duty. But if I was more prone to, you know, I could go around town and say, I don't know why I'm here. I don't even know why God sent me here. Nothing ever happened here. No, no, you know, nobody wants God. Maybe that's why God sent me here. Maybe that's why God sent you here. To stand in the sovereignty of God. God rules. God foretells the future. Proverbs 21.30, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. A lot of plans, a lot of imaginations, so forth. But God, his plan is going to stand. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord in Isaiah 43.13. You can't contradict God. Listen to this. Yea, before the day was, I am he. There is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall? Now, the English word is let it but it means to stop it, prevent it. Who can stop it if I say, go? When God says, go, when God says, let it be, let there be light, and so on, no one can stop it, no one. 
Hey, but that works in this respect for us. When God says, let him be saved, who can stop it? Some years ago, in a minor thing, a rather minor thing, in a time of uh, turmoil within the church, which we've seen plenty of those, well, a few of them anyway, there were some people actively trying to stop God's blessing on my life. The board had a little meeting, said, we're cutting your salary. It wasn't by a whole lot. And I told them that night, I said, and I was angry. I came from the Bronx in a small little missionary church and took a pay cut to come here. Papillon. I'm going to get a butterfly on my chest. I took a pay cut. So this little guy on the board over there, yeah, I went on Easter, and they got together, and they cut my salary, cut my pay. I said, and I told him, I said, okay, you do it. Keep your money. Well, it wasn't all of it, but you keep your money. I said, and you, with your own eyes, are going to see God's provision in my life. Yes. Sounds like braggadocia, just, yeah, okay, fine, but we keep the money. A week later, a man who attended the church hands me an envelope, a little tiny check. I mean, the amount wasn't a lot, but he gave it every single week. And it was <clears throat> exactly the amount that they had taken away from me. And what was even better was that the man who proposed the whole thing was the treasurer, and he had to see that check every single week. <laughs> with his own beady little eyes. Because my eyes are not on people or on promise makers. And hey, pastor, we're with you. Right. People say they're with me until the fight breaks out. Then you find out you're all by yourself, and you're asking all these friends of yours, hey, where were you? Oh, it's my back. <laughs> oh, I don't get involved in those situations. Okay, that's fine. That's not the way I see life. You have a problem, I have a problem. You're in a fight, I'm in a fight. Am I wrong? No, I'm not wrong. But there's a lot of spineless individuals. There's just a lot of talk, a lot of talk. I can meet young people in the gym, there's just a lot of talk. They still can't figure out how the old man with the beard that looks like Santa Claus can lift these weights, sometimes twice what they're lifting. How do I do it? Is it genetics? No, partly. Right here. It's right here. I refuse to quit. I refuse to give in. I refuse to get up. And I have the spirit of God. Now that's our advantage. That's our advantage. You may not see it. Maybe you didn't see it when you came here this morning. But things are working in your favor. God is working on your behalf in his plan, which he said would be part of it. And you said yes. Now everything is working, and sometimes we don't see it. The enemy, Satan, thinks he has the advantage on us. But then we read in the book. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us, overcomers and so on. Let me give you this last one. God is everywhere present and you are never alone. Not so, Pastor. I got you on that one. I live alone. If you are a Christian, you are never alone. Never alone. Well, physically, sure, obviously, but never alone. My wife and I went out to eat the other night. We were up here in Johnstown, Gloversville, actually. And there is the foothills of the Adirondacks. And as we're walking to the car after the meal, I pointed to the hills. I said, see, ever since I was a kid, that's my desire. She said, what? So I want to go up that hill and keep on walking and walking and walking and walking. Jeremiah Johnson. Yeah. I think I've calculated I'd only live maybe three, four days. I can't even fish. I got a gun, but I think it's hard to shoot fish. But for those three, four days, I'd be happy knowing I'm alone. Life is odd. This young girl that works out with that guy in the back and me, she's looking at her watch when I walked in, like, where are you? And I had to explain to her, I said, it took me 15 minutes at the front desk. Somebody's, hey, whoa, hey. And uh, believe me, I, I appreciate the fact that all my life I've been fairly popular. Not with everybody, but I have a lot of friends. And so she's like, where were you? 
I'm turning around, you're, you're not here. No, I said I was here. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. I am. I was here. I'm telling you, I was here. But I get hung up. And sometimes you look at the hills. Sometimes I look at the hills. And I just say, just walk and keep on walking. Because I know that even if I'm by myself, I'm not alone. What I was trying to say is that people who are alone cry about being alone. And people who have people tugging on them all the time wish they could be alone. So sometimes we're people that just can't satisfy us, right? In either case, whether you're in the deep in the woods somewhere or you're in a metropolitan area, you're never alone when you have Christ. Jesus came and spake unto them in Matthew 28, 18. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And listen, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And it hasn't ended yet. That means he's still with us. And it gets down to this once again. You either believe that or you don't. Me? Christianity? Not so much. Christ? Yes. He is with me wherever I go. He's with me in my pain and my pleasure. He's with me when I'm happy. He's with me when I'm down. But always trying to lift my head back up and say, look unto me, all the earth, and be saved. It's a strong consolation. Hebrews 6.18, that by two immutable things, that means unchangeable, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and speared to them that walk therein, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee. And give thee a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. To open the blind eyes. To bring out the prisoners from the prison. And them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory. Will I not give to another. Neither my praise to graven images. God, eternal, immutable. God is God. And he always will be God. I have declared and have saved, and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God, in Isaiah 43, 12. And you know, as I said earlier, we could go through, I mean, just about every verse in the 31,102 verses that make up our Bible, or God's Bible, to find nothing but encouragement. Now, even in exhortations where we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 10, God says, now listen, you see what they did? Don't do that. Don't do it, because they were examples, so that we wouldn't follow their example of unbelief. And the Bible is filled with examples of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and all these people, including Job. And he says, now follow that example. Follow that example. I made mention recently how my buddy, I'm pointing to him for a second time sitting back there. He don't like the birds. They get up too early, he says. They get up at four, I think. Well, I, on the other hand, I like it. It comforts me. They're out there singing. The morning dove always sits on the wire by my house. And then we have crows and all of these things, and cardinals. These birds are singing, and I always think of the same thing. Two things, God and music. Their music is not on a score, it's not on a sheet. 
And if you listen to the birds, even with just one bird, you don't find a real, real pattern. Try it. So it must be some type of extempore that they sing to the Lord about his glory. They're not worried about the economy. They don't even know who the president of the United States is. But then again, the president doesn't know either. So <laughs> God must have a sense of humor. <laughs> so it all works out. It all works out. Satan is the prince of this world, small p, and he wants you to be discouraged, get your eyes on the wrong things. Where's our help going to come from? I will look unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Conversation means the way you live. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Finally, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And of course, the old standby. For God hath not given unto us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Father, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you. So many things we don't understand, but we need to concentrate on the things we do understand. You're God. You never change. You never will change. And you're good. And we are grateful. Thank you. We bless you. We praise you today. Oh God, open the eyes of your people that they may see you in all your magnificence, your perfection, the fact that you cannot fail and that we are living in times, however chaotic, confusing, and violent, and so on, it may be. Your plan is still operative, and it will be fulfilled. Oh God, cause us to look towards the sky, where your word says that Jesus will return. Oh God, you already know what to us is the future. To you is an accomplished fact, and it will end good for those that trust in you. Build our faith, God, in this hour in which you chose for us to be born. We didn't choose to be born now. You chose for us to be born in this age. Help us, God, to choose you, keep our eyes on you, and bless you and praise you. God, save souls. Let them not just hear the voice of a man, but the word of God and what you say. And God, cause us to put away our murmurings and groanings and complainings. But certainly those of us that do that got our eyes on the wrong thing. But you will lift up our soul. You will lift up our head. You will strengthen us, protect us, and always provide for us. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. We give you the honor today. Father, we're just coming against everything that is contrary to your word. Sickness, disease, depression, anxiety, fear, and everything else. There's hatred and there's bitterness, lifelong bitterness. And God, we are taught a, nothing is impossible with you. And B, if we pray in your name, nothing is impossible to us. Nothing. And so with that in mind, God, we take these sicknesses and these diseases. We take the things that trouble our minds and trouble our spirit. And we go on and on and on and on. 
and look to you and thank you that you're hearing us right now. That because you're imminent, you're right here. And you've said, I'll never leave you. You said two or three are gathered together. I'm there. So you're here and you're the same and you're touching and you're healing. You're delivering. You're saving. You're pouring out your spirit. You're strengthening the weak, encouraging, renewing, and a whole lot more. So much so that, you, again, your scriptures say it goes beyond our ability to imagine. Oh, God, help us as we stand before you to be healed, to be saved, to be delivered in Jesus' mighty, matchless, and irresistible name. We give you praise. Let's give him a praise offering one more time today. We bless you, oh, God. Bless your mighty name. We bless you. We praise you. Hallelujah. Cause us to be reminded, as always, to love you all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, and all of the strength. And in accordance to your commandment, help us to love one another. We ask all these things today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.